0: Well, it's hard to believe it, at least for me, but it's been one year almost to the day since I recorded the what would become the trailer or sort of episode zero of the Wonder Dome shortly after we went into social distancing, physical distancing lockdown here in the States in March of 2020. It's now end of March 2021, and you are about to listen to the 50th episode of the wonderdome this show has been such a source of nourishment and meaning and purpose in this past year i can only speak for myself when i can say for certain that this year has been a period of of loss of change of growth of evolution and adaptation and it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to realize that that's true for just about everyone not certainly not true in the same way, and to the same de- depth and the same extent and same complexity. I want to say specifically that people who are most impacted by the worst and most destructive aspects of our culture, systemic racism, systemic classism, systemic poverty, the prison industrial complex, I want to acknowledge it that that these people are fellow, Human beings have also been most impacted by the hardest parts of the pandemic and the subsequent lockdown. And I also want to acknowledge that wherever we are in relationship to this year, all of us have a relation to it, a relationship to it, and that it has asked more of us than many of us thought we would ever have to give. And this show for me has been an anchor. Along the way. And I sense that for those who are listening in, it's been a sort of anchor for you too. That's my hope, anyways. That's one of my fierce hopes. As you've probably heard if you listen to the show a lot, fierce hope is a core theme. What does it mean to be hopeful that there is something waiting for us? As Charles, Charles Eisenstein likes to say, that there is a more beautiful future that our hearts know is possible. What does it mean to truly be hopeful for that? And at the same time, what does it mean to be fierce in our recognition that whatever is out there ahead of us, we're not going to get there simply by sitting back, simply by waiting for someone else to handle it. There are no leaders or experts or influencers who can, with the wave of their magic leadership powers, make things all right. We are the ones we have been waiting for. We are the ones we have been waiting for. And I'm really excited to share episode 50 with you today because I had a light bulb moment. I started this show in recognition that I know an incredible community of people who, if I just sat back and pressed record, hearing from them would make a difference in the lives of others. But what I didn't think about at the time is that in the process, I would begin to build a community that in a way never existed before, a community, an interconnected community of people who care about, who fiercely care about our future, and who are also working at the edge of what's possible for us to get there. So one of the really fun connections I got to make is I got to interview these three distinctly talented, distinctly unique, and yet... Also deeply connected human beings, Francis Breyers, episode 10, Cirrus Sherrod, episode 12, and Lee Chambers, episode 39. Now, the sort of fun joke is that they're all from the UK, so that that's clearly one thing they have in common. But it, if you listen in, you'll hear incredibly deep themes emerging around wellness, purpose, reality, and... Surprisingly, although we didn't plan for this, Francis opens us pretty early on with a poem and poetry kind of becomes one of the anchoring themes of uh, our conversation. What's possible in poetry that's not possible in dialogue? And so we use both today. We get into some really incredible dialogue. If nothing else, you'll be spellbound by Lee's voice. We all teased him about that after the recording because he just has like an incredible voice for this work. But you'll also be spellbound by Francis's poetry and by Cirrus's music, which um, coincidentally enough, the two songs he chose to bring without realizing what we were going to get, get up to, both included poetry in them, live readings of poetry, along with this incredible music. So we just allowed for that to emerge. It felt like the perfect way to celebrate 50 con- incredible conversations with incredible humans by bringing some of these incredible humans together. I'm definitely going to be doing this again. Look for more more kind of spontaneous collisions between amazing guests as we go. And I hope that wherever you are right now, as you're listening to this, there is some source of brightness in the future, some place to anchor your hope, and also some source of fierceness. Something that you can tap into that will help you carry through all of the challenge and disruptions still to come. As we as a species continue to navigate what it is to share one single home. The only home we've got. <sighs> all right. Let's get settled in and hear what Lee, Cirrus, and Francis have for us. All right. Lee, Cirrus, Francis, welcome back to the Wonder Dome, my friends. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So for those listening in, uh, some will have heard one of your episodes, perhaps two, but maybe not all three. Maybe there's some real diehards out there who besides me and my mom have listened to all three interviews. (laughs) so if you're here with us welcome this is a special moment for me because uh each in very different ways i found myself to francis sirius and lee and invited them to come on this show the wonder dome and they all said yes and then just at the end of the new year uh in 2020 and we may talk a lot about 2020 today where we may not we'll find out uh we got together i invited the three of you to come together and I just had a sense that there was something in that. And I just wanted to be in that. I was like, if they're together, I got to be there. So <laughs> at the end of that, I said, okay, we're going to do this again. And we're going to press record. And in the spirit of the show, I'm, I, I have no script. I have some ideas and themes that are alive in me. We've also already been talking for 30 plus minutes. In fact, I think I know where we're going to start with Francis's help. But uh, for those who are listening in, this is truly a conversation between Four human dudes sitting in four different chairs, although three are in pretty close compared, over in the UK, talking about life, existence, meaning, and all the rest. So with that, Francis, I'll pass it to you to open us with a poem. Cool,
1: thanks. Yeah, so when we were chatting before, a subject that came up and felt like it had some legs was about the way that um, some people... In, in part of Lee's background, I know, is in kind of human performance and, and physical health in some ways. And um, some people in the kind of biohacking, kind of uh, real deep divers into that space, some people navigate that in what I would see as a pretty mature way, um, mm. relating to it positively and constructively about how they can research and discover and find ways for human flourishing some people are coming at it from much more from a kind of almost paranoid point of view of like, how can I personally make my life as long as possible? Mm. And I was reflecting uh, on how I think that's a a mirror of modern culture in some ways that we've become, uh, we, there's a, a strong cultural obsession with youth, uh, with staying young, with looking young, and and a strong cultural aversion to death. So a kind of fear about death and un, uh, unprocessed, undealt with, uh, uh fear of death that um yeah uh, and i'm and, and that having come up uh, and and lee also then talked about how when we that we can't really fully live our lives until we have a positive relationship with death that that's part of what helps us to live a full and engaged life as part of what helps to give us a sense of meaning and that really spoke to me in all sorts of ways but not least least all because i do have a poem that is really on that subject. So here it is. It's called Death and Life. Mm. You are going to die. You are going to die. There is no avoiding it. Pretending it won't happen, won't prevent it. And more than that, everyone and everything you love will die too. There is no solace in this world, no legacy great enough to ensure your immortality. You are closer to death now than when you started Hearing this, take another step, my friend, there's no avoiding it. There could be misery in these thoughts, terror, disillusionment, pain, but there is a gift as well. It is only by embracing the reality of death that we truly learn how to live. There is a fierce urgency that is yours to claim, a freeing knowledge of your own doom that waits like death, just around the corner many imagine the knowledge of imminent doom to bring a rush of hedonism a selfish fuck you to the world as you pursue your own pleasure but that's not what I see that is not what I feel in myself as I contemplate my own demise no I want to share to give to love I seek belonging, not belongings. I welcome simplicity and peace, not a chaotic feeding of my inner glutton. I seek substance, not substances, because in confronting my death, I have to confront my life. In fact, in facing the fact that I could disappear at any moment, I have to ask the question, what if I could appear at any moment? What if? What if? What if I stepped out from behind the cloud of my own inhibitions and really lived? What if I grasped the opportunity in my life, not for fame or greatness or money or any of the other egoic delights I may pick up? Incidentally, along the path, what if I grasped the opportunity in my life for ordinary wonder? What if seeing death could help me to see life? What if the marvel of life lies not in the marvels but in the minutiae, the light on my cup? A moment of satisfaction after eating a meal or speaking to a friend. What if I could appear to myself at any moment? And what if I could see myself with fresh eyes now? And now. And now. And know this is who I am. And tomorrow I will be someone else. And that's wonderful and terrible. Wonderful and and terrible, to have to face my own death every day, the possibility of my physical death and the reality of dying to myself every moment. Because I'm not the same person now as when I started writing this. You are not the same person who started hearing this. You are not only dying, but dead. You are dead. You're dead already. You don't owe anyone anything. And you owe a great legacy in every moment. Because you are your own ancestor. Are you going to let the million yous who died so that you could live, die for nothing? Knowing that you will die anyway, can you sacrifice yourself in this moment so that the you who is being born might receive a legacy of choice? Can you embrace death, dear one, so that you might learn how to live? Can you embrace death? dear one, so that you might learn how to live.
0: Oh, Francis. (laughs) My God, man. I've had the good fortune of hearing Francis read a number of poems out loud in a similar context, but that one hit me the hardest. Really, really beautiful. And so, so resonant.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's really um,
3: interesting to me because i'm not really a great um poetry reader but i'm i'm increasingly aware that there are sort of there's just such a there is such a role for poetry in communicating these mm, these concepts that sort of defy language you know that mm. language sort of breaks down in confronting mm. i mean it's a bit like the whole kind of the the, the idea of like a um, cohen's in in sort of Buddhist. Yes. you know the idea of sort of gesturing towards something that you can't to accurately describe, you know, mm. um, obviously I think the thing now, my, my, my greatest desire is to kind of read it again, which I'm sure I will be able yeah. to, <laughs> to do. But yeah, it's a really wonderful piece of writing yeah. and, and obviously reading. I mean, you know, is it's, it's power is in the reading.
0: Yeah. beautifully yeah. read. Lee, I'm curious like, since you, Oh yeah, please go ahead. Please it's
4: a, it's like a journey of comprehension that many forms of communication just don't take people on mm. and so often communication we receive so much in so many inputs so much stimulation but the power of poetry to take people on on a, on a journey of comprehension so it moves beyond the words and beyond the communication but actually helps people to grasp concepts in a way that brings visual elements, sound, audio, and actually helps people to just really centre themselves and at the same time almost move away from themselves into a third person Mm. and see themselves Mm. intermingled amongst the words. That's something special.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: So well said. And by the way, for listeners, Lee is not with us on video. I'm imagining a zoom size kind of head of Lee just above my computer monitor so I can see him. (laughs) So whenever I'm looking at the guys who might see me looking away from my computer, I'm looking at Lee when he's talking. But uh, I want to invite you, Lee, maybe to to deepen into – you just gave us this really beautiful – insight into how powerful poetry is and that it both invites us closer to our own reality, but also invites us to see it, ourselves in it from a different vantage point, this this third person vantage point. And so I wonder, and I don't want to put you on the spot because that can be deep time intensive, like something moving underground. You don't see the insight until a year later or 10 years later, but in that moment, Lee, how, how did that poem do that for you? How did you see yourself in it and reality more clearly while we'll also kind of see, zooming out and seeing it from above? What, what did you get from that poem specifically?
4: Yeah, there was a number of different aspects. I mean, the, the kind of intuitive questioning aspects of the poetry, they almost take you on a, a little journey for you to fish in your own subconscious mind for things that you've heard, but you've not conceptualized for things that you feel like you understand, but you only understand one facet. And they almost allow you to take that singular facet and turn it into something more prismatic that you're almost able to pass a light through. And suddenly you just see that actually nothing is ever flat and one-sided, even if you've taken that and believed it as a concept. So like Francis alluded to, this idea of embracing death. But sometimes we don't always embrace death in our understanding of time. Because embracing death from a from a perspective of time, time is something that we as humans have constructed. It hits people differently. That poetry hit me in terms of time and chronology. It mm-hmm. made me think and sense myself in my own body. And the almost a little circadian rhythm, the mm. rhythmicity of the clocks in my own cells ticking around, moving mm. alongside the world spinning. And it just brings that kind of richness of information that in a world where we just so often want to find a quick answer, there is no shortcut to death. And there is no shortcut to life, but actually as human beings, we're our biggest experiment and the ability to be able to look at those different aspects, to almost dig deep inside yourself, but then float up above and almost see yourself as this one little box of ticking cells oh man, amongst yeah. the planet that's spinning and look and realise that we're not isolated. Like Francis says, culturally, we've almost become obsessed with the fountain of youth, never moving through the phases of life, starting to really treat people who are in a later stage of life as elderly, as old, as retired And all this messaging that doesn't allow us to share the wisdom of our later years because we feel like we are close to our mortality and we are almost finished is a rhetoric that I find increasingly damaging because Mm. Mm. the wisdom of a life lived inside and outside, there is very few ways to communicate that or to bring that out into the world Unless
0: you've you know lived through that experience. Oh my gosh! Wow, Lee, <laughs> that was. I, I sat visualizing that sort of sense that every single one of my cells was this sort of living mechanistic clock ticking, or a little mini planet spinning, or a little universe kind of solar system whirling, and and oh, uh, it's just so well said the way we're all kind of spinning through space together. Mm. I wonder, uh, Cirrus, based on how I know you, you're someone who thinks deeply about lineage and ancestry Mm -hmm. uh, and also your most recent album, um, is it called Distancer? Is the album called Distancer? Yeah, yeah. So your most recent album, Distancer, which came out in the midst of 2020, lovely poetry in that, um, has the starkest image of of death. I, I think your other albums have animals or naturescapes or or sort of complex yeah. architecture and now yeah. suddenly it's a still life with a skull and a candle burning low if I remember correctly mm-hmm. I'm not letting it looking yeah. at this moment but just like I wonder in that intersection of lineage and ancestry and also your album's seeming yeah. engagement with these questions of mortality what comes up for you as it, as you hear yeah, this
2: yes, really,
3: I mean actually shows. I'll just say what i thought what Lee said is really true, really yeah. true. I, I i taught um english for a couple of years and and you know this this kind of notion of like you know to, just talking about poetry is always hard and obviously kind of you know it's, it's it in itself feels like you're kind of you're pulling the ground out from the from the very point of poetry which kind of is to not talk about it mm. but to, to experience it i was um I did an interview this morning it was like a, it was like a written interview which I always find really difficult but but question and answer thing and one of the questions was about um uh do do uh do do you think that british audiences understand your music because of the iranian thing and and I and 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 um and, you know it's a well-meant question the guy it's for someone's doing a phd on kind of uh, actually on ancestry and music and lineage oh. and uh, he wants to talk to me about the idea of like the Iranian slash kind of Western influences. And, and I just, I'd never really thought about it in these terms, but what I wrote um, was, was that actually, I think knowledge of any sort is, is far from like essential to experience. Like if anything, knowledge can be a barrier to experience, you know, knowing about, for example, the, even knowing the language in which you know malahat is singing in on the record mm. uh, or the, the 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 iranian classical modes of music that faroz is playing on the kamancha, you know those things are that they, they allow you maybe like a more kind of an atomized uh, sort of understanding of how the music works but like with poetry and with that poem as an example like it's more about just kind of wading in it's like you know what that whole question of what poetry is is kind of unanswerable mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But,
3: like, I think all art, you know, in its experiential sort of sense is, is kind of pulling towards that or pushing towards that, that mm-hmm. feeling that you're not trying to understand it, you're just trying to feel it kind of course through you, mm-hmm. which, you know, seems to be to me the sort of the, the, the point, if you like, of poetry, you know, it's, it's to feel it, to kind of like experience it, which is why it's so important, I think, to hear it read rather than mm-hmm. read it off a page. Mm. Uh, it's be- again, it's just a beautiful piece of work, and, mm. and wonderful to hear you read it. It was, was one- and lovely to hear Lee's response to it. Um, in answer to your question about the the um, the lineage thing, the, the the cover, yeah, you're right. The cover for this record, which actually is out in April, it's been kind of delayed. Mm. Songs from it are appearing kind of incrementally. Um, the the cover for this record is a um, a still life of yes, a skull, uh, some nitrous oxide canisters. Uh, which are which you see all over the streets in the UK I don't know if it's the same in the states um these are these do you, do you know what I mean by that these little kind they're of like m- little
0: silver kind little of silver uh, canisters. finger-sized canisters uh, right yeah. yeah and and why are they all over the streets in a word or two
3: <laughs> they're, they're used for um, uh, getting high they' um, oh okay they're, yeah like they're kind of they're, basically people use them to kind of inhale nitrous oxide and wow. Get high.
0: Okay. And you see, you see, you see them everywhere. And so they're in the still life Everywhere now. Yeah. Wow. The, 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 um, yeah, the, the skull thing, the whole thing, it,
3: it was a coincidence really, because my friend Spencer who does all the artwork to that picture, I like that. I like the, I like the kind of the, the, the Memento Mori kind of feel of it. Yeah. Death, yeah. It's very Memento Mori. Death is, death is of course like essential. I mean, it's, that's a very corny kind of phrase that, you know, I, a uh, person has two lives. The second one begins when he or she realises they only have one. But like, I like this idea of embracing <laughs> death. I like the idea of embracing death, but I think it's also kind of impossible because we don't know what death is. I don't think you can really embrace death. I think all you can really do is slowly let go of what the alternative is, you know, the thing that you think you are. Like, hmm. l- like who knows? I don't know what what lies on the other side of that kind of, Vanishing point, you
2: know. Mm.
4: Mm. I mean, maybe I people. Do want to, mm, I do want to knit two concepts together that has come to me just as Cyrus was speaking. Then, please. So, yeah. as Francis alluded to at the start, there are almost two camps of people looking for increased longevity and health span: the ones who are looking to better the world through it, and the ones who are looking to increase their existence. And one of the biggest barriers and challenges for those who want to increase their existence is that they honestly believe that the knowledge that they have accrued is so valuable that they should continue to exist Mm. but as cyrus alluded to knowledge and a chase for understanding and what is becoming more prevalent in society which i really terminologize as knowledge obesity Mm. the want to understand everything to the point where our consumption becomes so inconsiderate that we are ultimately cognitively obese and still search for understanding and meaning in everything and stop allowing us to absorb elements in a way that doesn't require us to continually process them to the point where they become like processed food. And that poetry, if left to be absorbed, is like nutritious for the soul. Oh yeah. And yet society will try and process it until it becomes just words on a page. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm.
4: Francis. So, yeah, please. So,
1: so I think something that both of you are kind of pointing at uh, and, and partly because I'm a poet, but also because I'm uh, borderline obsessive about the area of the field of learning. Cause that's most of my work is helping people learn stuff. Um, and I'm a massive geek about that, and I love learning stuff myself. So I think a lot of what you guys are pointing at is something that I describe in certain terms. That there are different learning paradigms. The dominant one, dominant because it started in Europe and then spread, was aggressively spread, is the is the knowledge paradigm, which is linear and progressive. So, uh, one piece of knowledge. They're like building blocks. If you have one piece of knowledge, you can build on top of it. If you don't have that foundational piece of knowledge, you can't continue along the chain. So subjects like maths and science, are the obvious kind of uh, versions of that, archetypes of that type of learning, incredibly valuable and have advanced society in some incredible ways, the advancement of them. And part of why they've advanced society is because the linear form of learning, knowledge acquisition, can... It, it's it's linear and progressive. Progressive meaning that each each practitioner, each person studying in the field, can stand on the shoulders of giants by learning. If they can understand what was learned by the previous generation, they can take things further. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: So yep. so this is one paradigm of learning, and it's the one that's like i say become dominant, and it's basically that's how we value people as well. So someone is more valuable if they've got a PhD than if they're seventy years old. Mm. right that's a fairly direct in terms of the workplace you know and and culturally how we kind of value people someone young with a phd is super valuable because oh my god they managed to go a long way fast
2: Mm.
1: Mm. um so a different totally different cultural paradigm is the wisdom paradigm which is mostly which was dominant in tribal culture and still is in many of the indigenous tribal cultures that still exist which is cyclical and it's cyclical because it can only last for the length of a lifetime. Mm. So um, you can only, you can, because it's not about knowledge, it's about your capacity for uh, mature growth and making sense of life. Now that's that's why wisdom is so valuable because it's not domain specific. L- linear learning is skill based. It's domain specific. Like you can be good at fixing a car. Being good at fixing a car won't help you to um, be good at raising a child mm. or writing a poem. Or you know, like there's it's it's domain specific. Whereas wisdom is insight about yourself and your relationship to life. That's not domain-specific. that's applicable wherever you go in in any circumstance, which is really freaking useful. Um, <laughs> uh, it, arguably, it's the most flexible kind of learning, um, But it also makes it quite numinous, hard to pin down, hard to define. And it also means you can't build on previous generations,
2: mm.
1: because it's entirely personal and based on experience. It's it doesn't mean other people can't point you to it. They can't, they can guide you towards it. They can mentor you and cultivate it. It's entirely personal to you because it's about your relationship to life.
0: Does and so make it makes so much sense. And I just want to like underline that not only can other people point you to it, in most traditions, it is other people who we look to to point us to it because it's sort Absolutely. of like. There's a kind of wisdom that if you put a person by themselves in the wilderness and they manage to survive, they would have a kind of wisdom. Yeah, and and that and they well, there y- might be a way they could pass that on.
1: Y- yes, right? and so yeah, 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 please. Yeah, they would have a kind of wisdom if they have done the work to digest their experience. Yes, through a useful frame. Yes, they could have sat in the wilderness just about scraping by, telling themselves a story of victimhood. And they would have, they would not have any wisdom Mm, I'd want to pick up. mm,
0: mm, (laughs) Right, right.
1: So there's a process. by And and even
0: if they did, they might not know how to transmit it. So that useful frame you just described is sort of the thing that we offer each other or Mm. potentially don't offer each other, depending on where we're at, to do our own sense-making, to kind of like take that scaffolding and be like, oh that shapes my experience in a totally new way and then you fill it with your yeah
1: so and this is where um poetry comes in so the vast majority of spiritual texts are written in poetry or metaphor stories right Uh, usually parable or metaphorical stories and uh, so all of this thinking started for me when I was trying to work out what wisdom was to be really practical about it in order to speak to... I, I had the opportunity to do a talk in front of the, a bunch of police officers. Wow. And I was told, oh, you can talk about whatever you like. I was like, cool. But it was in the context <laughs> of like a learning program. And I thought, well, wisdom something I'm really interested in. I'll work out how to talk about that. And then <laughs> afterwards worked out how to talk about it. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, if you think of the different traditions, there's the knowledge traditions and the wisdom traditions in very broad terms. There's others too, but these are the these are two big ones that sit in real juxtaposition to each other. It's like, okay, well, if there's if there's a the, the knowledge traditions are kind of linear and progressive in this way. If if you look at a science textbook from now and a science textbook from a hundred years ago, the difference would be massive, like the concrete difference in what it says. It, they would be saying dramatically different things. Even the underlying principles of what they're describing would be quite different. Let alone if you went two hundred years, three hundred years ago. Whereas if you take a, a, a wisdom text, so the, the Tao Te Ching, which is thought to be the oldest um, uh, spiritual text still in existence, mm. and you compared it with The Power of Now, written by Eckhart Toller, what, 20 years ago, they're saying pretty much the same thing. <laughs> so either the wisdom traditions are peopled by a bunch of no nothing bozos who are like wildly unimaginative and and pretty ineffective or when they write a book they're trying to do something totally different
0: mm. 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 in some suggests- ways there's oh yeah go Sorry. ahead serious go ahead it also suggests that maybe that the
3: Um, the underlying kind of, because, you know, I've also been very interested in this, like wisdom, the wisdom of the body, the wisdom that we are kind of, you know, like, you know, when you, when you kind of like stumble and your foot just shoots out exactly the right angle to stop you from falling over, or, you know, you breathe even though you're asleep or, you know, the things that you know how to do without really knowing how to do them that, that are encoded in you, that's the kind of wisdom that we're all, you know, we just take for granted. A lot of us take for granted. Um, the, I, the, the, I was chatting to someone earlier on today about um, Schopenhauer, who I, I've been reading about, you know, struggling with, but finding so, so, so frighteningly interesting. Um, Sirius, could you
0: just say uh, a word or two about Schopenhauer for those who might not know?
3: Yeah. Oh, so like um, Schopenhauer was a 18th century German philosopher, I think. I make may have some of that even wrong somewhere in that me?
0: ballpark. <laughs> yeah,
3: um, he was he was kind of a founding father of what I believe is known as transcendental idealism. He was kind of following in the footsteps of empiricists. So this kind of big schism in philosophy where whereby <sighs> whereby um, the, you know the philosophy that was I think. Prior to empiricism, I, I had no no idea that I would be talking about this, so I apologise. <laughs> you, know you, you may know that all this is, is rubbish, in which case stop me. But, you know, philosophy, I think, historically was very religious. It was very much about kind of God's conception of the world and our place in God's kind of vision. And then, you know, in the kind of, sort of 1600s, um, I think largely British uh, school of philosophers, yay Britain, go Brexit, um not really i'm i'm joking obviously but, but um but these, this school of kind of british philosophers i think started to kind of like unpick this idea that that um obviously the kind of links between between the kind of the god's vision for earth or whatever philosophy became more about you know what, what we were talking about which is experience which is kind of wisdom what can you what can you yourself uh, divine about the world around you what can you uh, you know understand through experience and that got really really deep and kind of messed up because people started to realize that uh you can really prove very little that that actually the the if there is an objective reality we cannot know anything about it um i this is really not my specialist subject at all but the interesting thing that i think really kind of threw the whole thing into a bit of a conundrum was descartes
0: was probably descartes yeah
3: yeah, I mean, I can't remember. Oh. They can't. They can't. Was it basically that, you know, this this, this idea that actually, well, there is something out there in time and space. We just have to figure out what our relationship with it is. And then actually someone says, no, time and space are just kind of human concepts like everything else. You know, the, that tree over there is not really relative to anything else. It is just what it is. You know, space, time, all the rest of it is just in our minds. Schopenhauer kind of developed that in his whole Theory of Will and Representation, which was his big big work. Anyway, please edit all of that out because it's <laughs> gy- <laughs> oh, no. It's very, very the main thing about Schopenhauer is that, that that I that I find really interesting is that he compiled can, can this incredibly dense philosophy based on the notion that the world out there is you know inti- basically an illusion to to it all intents and purposes in you know exists in our minds. We're like the projector and the projection of this world. But in his later life, he read the Upanishads and realised that, like, his kind of vision of the of the, mm. of the of reality was pretty much, like, the same as this vision of reality that had been written about 2,000 years earlier or, how, you know, however many thousands of years earlier. Um, and, you know, it still is, like, as you were saying, those, those kinds of, those sorts of texts, you know, the modern kind of thing, the, the, the sort of deep thinkers most of them are sort of like outlining a, a worldview which has a lot in common with ancient buddhist mm. Scriptures, mm. Ancient kind of hindu scriptures mm. you know that vision of reality i mean it suggests to me that there's some truth in it like that mm. there is some kind of essential you know unlike the kinds of like deep space exploration you know elon musk's latest theory of Bitcoin or whatever it is, you know, these things are kind of all constantly shifting. But actually, when we look inside ourselves and find the universe as we kind of experience it within, there seems to be some consistency to people's visions of that. Whether they're, you know, written two hundred years ago or two thousand years ago, Mm. whether they're Mm. in Germany or you know, a forest in India.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, well, if you're thinking about the human experience of what it is to be alive and what it is to be human, and how we make meaning out of that that is that is it's a, it's the cycle of a single person's life mm. yeah it so if i'm writing about that in in an attempt to try and make it more accessible for someone else for them to come to a sense of meaning and purpose in their lives as best i can if i'm trying to write something that might nudge them in the right direction to exist to explore the world in a particular way that they might discover it a little quicker than I did. You know, in my 60s and 70s, I'm kind of going, I really hope the kids (laughs) today might find this a little bit fun. If I'm trying to write something to do that, then I'm going to write the same kinds of things as any other human being through history Mm. because we're all experienced, essentially, we're all the same human being experiencing the nature of life. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the, the classic French. I can't remember which f- philosopher said it, but a classic French phrase: "Plus a change, plus a change, plus a même shows. The more things change, the more they stay the same."
4: <laughs> Human experience. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose yeah. if you look at all the major wisdom traditions, they hold very similar virtues, very similar. Yeah. You know, no matter what cultural cultural considerations you put in, it's all very similar when kind of broken down in a non trying to understand it all
0: type way yeah mm. why then do y'all think this is a big question so we can play with it lightly but but given that consistency and maybe it has something to do with this that the sort of scale of the lifetime limitation but but given the consistency of wisdom across at least our civilizational history, which of course is still only a fraction of human history. Um, Although we get glimpses that maybe sort of what we call prehistory had quite a bit of wisdom that still echoes in our world today. Um, Why is it so hard to embody it? Like what's the, why, why we have this incredible, maybe I'll say one more thing, I'm sort of thinking out loud here, but like for instance, a book is a product of, and an expression of, and an artifact of the knowledge paradigm, ultimately. Like, it's a thing that exists because of knowledge. And Francis, as a poet and a wisdom teacher, is deploying it to try and transmit wisdom, which is beautiful. And it has comes with a certain limitation in that it's ultimately still a knowledge delivery system. Mm.
1: Uh, I would challenge so. that because there's different kinds of books.
0: Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so like, let's, like, I guess my question that I didn't quite finish, and maybe you can build on that too, is why is it so hard to transmit wisdom when it's so consistent? And so, yeah, like, so, so challenge what I said and also build on it too, please. Well, just the
1: the, the challenge is that there are different, I would say there's different kinds of books. So, there are books that are where the intention is to create a historical record that can then be continued. That's the, that's the knowledge paradigm.
2: Mm. It's linear
1: Mm. and progressive. Mm. and there are books that are trying to nudge us into our own experiential process, and that's where poetry particularly comes in. Mm. Now, that can be – I I sometimes talk about navigating by poetry. When you're in the realms of the the unknown and the uncertain, poetry is the best guide you're going to get. There isn't anyone with the knowledge to tell you how to navigate the unknown (laughs) because no one's ever been there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but poetry will can potentially point you to a way of being a way of thinking about the world, a way of seeing that may help you work it out for yourself as you go. Amazing. Um, I, there's a, I, I actually wrote a poem called, I won't read the whole thing, but I wrote a poem called navigating by poetry. And the last two lines are, if you want to know, read history. If you want to understand, read poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, I because, wonder what
0: that. Oh, go ahead, Francis. Yeah, and then I'll pass well, be,
1: because that's that's what it's that's what poetry is trying to help us to do. Is trying to help us treat, kick us, or is is one version of it. But particularly in in texts like the Tao Te Ching, or you know the parables of the Bible, or you know any of these kind of texts, I think that's what they were for: is to try and nudge us into the process of reflection on our own experience through a particular frame that help us make meaning and sense out of the thing constructively.
0: Mm, mm. Lee, I wanna uh, I wanna invite you in, and then I think depending on where you land, I wanna pause and listen to one of of Sirius's songs because he brought some great music. But uh, uh, Lee, I'm 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 struck. I'm noticing that I have an assumption about you that I want to actually check because it may not be true. But my assumption is I think that you're the youngest of us. Uh, so I just turned forty. I know Sirius is is. Oh, happy birthday. What's that? Happy birthday. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> So I could be wrong but I sense that you're the youngest of us Lee and you also strike me as remarkably wise <laughs> like there's just you your gift for metaphor your gift for for interpreting and making sense of things like these deep wisdom traditions and then also like applying them your work is sort of then grounded in like how do I how do I help people perform in different ways and use their body in different ways so I wonder if you have any thoughts about why wisdom is challenging to transmit, right? Like, cause not all of us can become poets perhaps, or, or maybe we all can, but we just don't know it. So I wonder if you have any thoughts about why wisdom is challenging to transmit and then any perspective on why you at least seem to have, have inherited a lot of it or absorbed a lot of it. And maybe you're helping other people do it too. I think, that's a that's a very humbling assumption andy um (laughs) the young young part might not be but the wise part yeah well i I mean it i experience it you that way anyways (laughs) um so
4: i mean how i kind of i suppose try to alchemize it in my own mind is that modern society is almost Mm anti-wisdom it's very much this search for we must continue to build upon this knowledge to solve more complexity to start to take the basics for granted we must solve life's problems like they are not desirable Mm -hmm. but problems are desirable if we're to really build wisdom over and cultivate that over time And yet we seem to have moved into a societal shift, especially in the West, of trying to isolate a problem and find a solution to that problem without any consideration about how interconnected every element of the world is. And even more so, we seem to chase this idealism of growth and growth doesn't have and give us the time to fertilize water and cultivate wisdom Mm. wisdom is not something that you can just drop in on a ship wisdom isn't something that you can find a shortcut to overnight that real element that we started to transition to of other people being experts with the knowledge we need and other people garnering knowledge to be able to advance humans in more directions than we could have ever conceived or believed has suddenly taken us away from the fact that our own journey through life is an opportunity to cultivate wisdom through our experiences and through our understanding. And we absorb so much, like so much of our ability to build wisdom comes from boredom, comes from times (laughs) of solitude comes from honest reflection on the experiences that we've had and the ability to share those with others without a massive agenda attached to it. And I think that in the modern world that we live in, to actually be able to cultivate wisdom in a lifetime requires a fair amount of disconnection from from society itself. Because if you choose to conform then you will get to a grand age and probably struggle to transition the wisdom you have into a way that others can utilize. Because if you go out and ask someone on the street about Sirius's music or Francis's poetry, they will tell you they're very creative people and they have a certain skill and I can't transmute any of the things I've learned in that way. But We do have skills and we do have abilities, but as soon as it's compartmentalised into this idea that I am creative or I am not, it's a complete barrier to being able to share those experiences because look at the power of story, the power of metaphor. Mm. And like Francis says, people learn differently. As soon as you go into the educational system, we are treated as if we are a little robot. Mm. And that really kind of sections us in a certain path that we have to take a lot of ownership to step out of, even as an adult. Mm.
0: Amazing. This is so cool. So I think maybe we should have an experience uh, in the in the spirit of what we're talking about. And I think, S- Sirius, your songs are really... Yeah, and you're on mute right now. But uh, here, what I'll actually do is just uh, go ahead and stop the recording. Okay. And uh, yep. folks listening, and you'll hear us on the other side, and the, and you'll hear a re- version of the
5: song in between. So you'll get to it. Can you hear me again now? Yeah, there you are. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. چه بگویم که غم از دل برابد چون تو بیاوی. You told me that you come and I tell you sorrow of my heart What can I tell you? Because when you come to me all sorrow of my heart disappears همه پرسن چرا دل به تو دادم باید اول زد تو پرسم که چنین خوب چرايي. Everybody asks why I gave my heart to you But I need to ask you first why you are so lovely دلی دارم چو مرد پرشکسته چو کشتی بلدب دریا نشسته my heart is like a bird That is wings are broken It's like a boat That is on the side of the sea And cannot move That's the best one میگه This is sad again Bani یادم از آیا یک که در آفرینشت یک گوهرم Human are part of each other When they were created They all created from the same base تو که از مهنت دیگران میغمی نشاید که نامد نهند آدمی If you are not aware of other people's suffering, they shouldn't call your name human.
0: So we just heard "Human" featuring your dad Cirrus, and I wonder if you could just say a word or two about about that song. And you're on mute again, so just get you unmute there.
3: Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. That was that's actually the second track that we've done together, my dad and I. Um, I used to rent the studio in Soho in central London, had a vocal booth, and um, uh, when I was working on a record. A few years ago, my dad came in and um, I asked him to, I, I don't know why it took me so long to think. My dad's kind of got this kind of, again, it's this just deep knowledge of like old Iranian poetry. I mean, it's like kids in Iran are sort of schooled in it, just in a way that Western cultures, I just don't think we ever have had or ever really appreciated poetry the way that it resonates in Iranian culture. And I just thought, you know, come in, read some, read some of his favourite poems. I'll record them, set them to music. Um, in the end it, it, what happened was he came in with all this stuff that he printed out and annotated and he was kind of fumbling through all these pages dropping pages ruffling pages it just didn't work and in the end I just said look just put all that down and just recite a few that you know from memory mm. which he did and then he kind of translated them really fumblingly and I remember afterwards he listened to it and was like oh I sound really weak I sound I don't sound good and I was like oh, I think you sound really good anyway people loved it and um, yeah. And, uh, and I loved it. It felt like, it felt like a really true, really kind of important, you know, it, it felt, it felt, it felt like, yeah, if all my music was on fire, that's the thing that I would kind of rescue.
0: Yeah. yeah track uh, Daylam off of all the troubled. Hearts. That's, the one, that's the
3: one. Yeah. So that's the one that we did back then. And then for this one, I, um, I, I just thought, you know, do it again. Why not give the people what they want? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know that i just obviously it's a bit of a risk repeating that formula but it's sort of i i, I think it's really interesting the, the interview that i was doing today was about kind of cultural uh, influences western eastern iranian english dance music iranian music and it's like you know i i find all those things kind of like problematic you know like i think pigeonholes are sort of you know genres it's all good for like algorithms, but like when it comes to kind of making art, it's, it, I think it's all like, it's just generally it's sort of, I think people kind of reverse engineer everything to sort of like fit in, into a certain box, you know, mm. they'll be doing what they do really naturally and people will go, "Oh, I really like what you're doing. It's like chill step. And they'll be like, Oh, chill step. Right. Okay. I mean, uh, well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's witch house or it's like <laughs> garage music or something. It's, you know, I think actually, you know, Iranian music is itself this kind of vast melting pot of culture and history. Western music is this vast melting pot of culture and history. Like everything is just this sea of, you know, all these kind of colliding kind of influences. I think you just like riding that is is part of the fun, you know, trying to figure out which, yeah. which sense you're on is kind of a waste of time, really. Yeah. Um, that anyway, sounds like yeah. a
0: much more a much wiser approach to making art than a knowledge-based approach.
3: Yeah, yeah. I thought it fitted with what we were saying about the poetry thing because I think it is I think it's really true. I mean I've sat with my dad and his his elderly, m- mostly male friends you know of an evening in Iran. They'll sit around they'll have dinner. you know the women will go and, and kind of sit somewhere and, and, and chat and, and the men will just sit around a table. Reciting poems, you know, and 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 until and, and and cry, you know, like just getting so emotional. Reciting, they have this game where they recite the first line of a poem, and someone has to jump in and pick it up, and then they carry on, and he'll do another poem. Someone else has to jump in and pick it up. It's called declamé, and it's like you know, even yeah. per, even kids, you know, my my dad's friend Comrade's kid plays this game. He's like. You know, when he's 12, 13, he was beating my dad and his friends. And I just think that reverence for poetry is really, it's really warming. It's really kind of like, and I'm sure, um, Francis, I'm sure you're aware of like, no doubt, loads of other cultures that have that kind of respect for poetry. It kind of breaks my heart a bit because having taught English in the UK, um, you know, you just get a sense what a tiny place poetry occupies in the lives of most people. Trying to get kids excited about it is it feels like a struggle you know like it's really hard and it's really heartbreaking because it's the the you know the the power of it is timeless
0: you know mm. Mm. well I'm so glad you had a piece with poetry so appropriate for the moment and yeah and the poetry itself was so appropriate yeah. to the conversation and there's one in particular I want to underline and then I'd love to hear from you Lee and Francis but you know, the, the, the translation was something like life is like a boat by the sea that cannot move. Mm.
5: And then wow. your dad, and
0: your dad goes, that was the best yeah, one. <laughs> he like lets you know in the recording that was the best. Well, I love that because people who've heard it
3: think that he's talking about the one that he's about to read, which is Sadie. It's the famous Banyard oh, But it's the one he just read. But, he, but it's but it's not what he's doing. As you're saying, what he, what he was saying is that's the best one. <laughs> about that one about the bow. There's so much of that stuff that I kind of you know had to. You you, you want to leave bits of it in. Yeah. You know the first. The first one that we did, you know, he's like fumbling for his glasses at the beginning of the track, and it's like that's that's poetry too, you know, like Mm. that's kind of that's the that's the real richness. You don't want to edit that stuff out. (laughs)
0: That's great.
3: Yeah, thanks, mate.
0: Yeah. So, but that that
2: went
3: up today, so it's kind of like I just thought it was also appropriate because it's literally today that. Oh,
0: brilliant! So that's like, Mm. I mean, by the time people hear this, it may have been up for a while, but at this moment, we're like the first to hear it publicly.
3: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to up. yeah, which is nice.
0: Oh, thanks, mate. That's great. No worries. Uh, I'd love to hear from either of you gents, Lee or Francis, just in in a couple of words, what was like evoked for you as you had that experience?
4: Yeah, it's very hard to vocalise the feelings. We so often try to find a a cognitive way to Mm -hmm. explain the places that it takes you. And even though like Andy, you said, that I can sometimes have a, a certain ability with metaphor and imagery. I, I really struggled. It, I mean, what Sarah's just said about poetry in the UK, and from my own personal experience, poetry is introduced as a way to learn to read, and then is reintroduced into British education as a book of poems, And this is how you can pass your exam if you get questions on poetry. Mm. And that is, that was literally how deep it got for me at a young age until I, you know, decided to steep myself in a number of different cultures and angles. And it's, you know, I think that's probably made me feel quite sad, if I'm honest, Mm. Mm. on an emotional spectrum. Because that is what so many of my generation, probably even more so of the generation beyond me, live at such speed that there is no time for poetry because poetry doesn't work at speed, not in that respect. And like to hear Sarah say of gentlemen sharing a table sharing versus creating instead of consuming living slowly meaningful ways not chasing the understanding but just living in each other's wisdom and steeping themselves in something that moves each one of them in its own way why have we lost that connection so often Mm. I, I suppose, as we both
3: did. Yeah. One one thing I'd just like to add to that, because I think that is beautifully put, Lee. And, yeah. Um, given, given, that you, given that you said, you know, might, might struggle to articulate it, I thought that was perfectly, perfectly articulated. And I think what's really interesting about it is that you're right, that one of the things that I think makes those scenes of my dad and his friends so moving, sitting around the table, reading these lines, is because there's a kind of an an acknowledgement on their part that the poetry is kind of like it's as close as they're going to get but it's not quite there you know it's like poetry can only take you so far but it's going to take you a lot further than everything else and that's kind of the the, that's kind of the 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 sort of beauty and the sort of sadness of it that's why I sense them kind of like you know that I've seen them literally crying as they kind of recite certain lines some of those lines are heartbreaking you know like Mm. Um, and it is the it's the kind of beautiful futility of it, you know. It's kind of like wonderful that it that it gets them as far as it does. Anyway, sorry, I just thought that was really well put. Really, yeah. really,
0: agreed. Yeah, very moving. Moving the song was moving, and Lee your reflections on it. So thank you, yeah. Francis. What about you? What's alive in you in the wake of of that listening?
1: It's um, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I is. Uh, both poetry and beautiful music often leave me in a slightly wordless place Mm. um i I wrote a piece a little while ago because i write a lot as you can probably tell and i wrote a little piece a little while ago saying that poetry is non-verbal for me Mm. there's a way which is like is a an interesting conceit in itself isn't it um but there's a way that um great poetry isn't really about the words there's a way that i can express emotion through movement so I love dancing and I can express myself through movement far more in a way that feels far truer than I can in words. And that's as someone who is a a writer professionally in my work, in my day job to some degree and writes poetry and has written a bunch of, but like, I still find it. I feel like it's, I'm, what I'm saying is truer and better expressed and more directly from the heart when I, when I dance. So that, that melancholy that you're talking about, cirrus that you detect from those from those elders mm. i totally identify with you know like the 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 bitter me- the sort of sweet melancholy of like isn't it wonderful that it's that we're able to do this and it's still not quite right you know
2: wow. and
1: the tao Te ching is a spiritual text you know the first line of the tao Te ching the most common translation i've come across of it is the tao that can be told is not the eternal tao the name that can be named is not the eternal name so it's like a book that starts by saying, uh, everything we're about to say in this book is bullshit. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: not even close. <laughs> right? Uh, there's something so beautiful about that. It's like it's so honest. I'm going to write a book about something, but it's not going to get close.
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, what um, actually? Magic- Something that Lee said earlier, which was the thing about creative and non creative people, that sort of like concept that I think a lot of people have. You're absolutely right. Lee. You know, people will say kind of off the bat, I'm not a creative person. And actually, for me, as someone who makes music most of the time, I feel like making music is one of the least creative things that I do. You know, it's like I, I love that people, the, the only reason that I do it really is through the sense that it might be making people's lives slightly more bearable and slightly more beautiful and maybe occasionally mine too. But like the times that I feel creative, like genuinely creative are when I'm, I don't know, cooking or, you know, like (laughs) chopping up an apple or obviously doing something really, really fun, like surfing, which hasn't happened for a long time. But like, you know, those moments of like kind of just like losing myself in something essential and kind of like it's often completely mundane those are really really creative moments those are like poetry moments for me you know music can feel kind of like wonderful or it can feel workmanlike, but it never feels as kind of pure as like that you know those mm. those moments are just, so like so i just think that that whole kind of creative to non-creative thing i think that's a i think that's a distraction i think that yeah. that you know there is There is great. There is, there is greatness.
0: I'm struck. uh, I love that. And I'm struck by the sort of tragic comedy of people standing on one side of that imaginary divide. Oh, I'm not creative. And looking over at at, at an artist and going, look how creative they are. And I wish I I could never do that. And then they turn around and they make this beautiful dish or... You know, they just they just move their body in a creative way to pick up their kid off the floor while also juggling like, you know, groceries and and it's sort of like they're so in the water that they look out and see you. And then you're like over there going like, look at that beautiful way you, you make that meal or look at that beautiful way. Just sort of this this it's almost like that's the thing that you're tuning into. Lee. Our society keeps telling us to look somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, like, see that we can't be that, and then feel feel that gap, as opposed to just being with what is. Yeah, Yeah. it's
4: so similar to what Cyrus says about music having to be compartmentalized and compositioned into genres. Mm -hmm. It has Mm -hmm. to be this, and therefore, it cannot be that. Mm -hmm. That isolation; it can only be one. Mm -hmm. But everything that we do is not singular in application or in its impact on the world around us. And that's so important that we don't look at creativity as an industry, as a particular profession, but so many things that we do, that we take for granted, that we even do without being aware, are creative. Mm. And Mm. music so often harmonises and blends throughout multiple genres Mm. and just having to select one is one of the one of the most biggest frustrations in how I feel society has caused us to individualise ourselves, isolate problems and stop us seeing the interconnected frameworks that hold everyone together and Mm. if there's one thing to come from the past year that we've had Many people have slowed down and suddenly seen that they're not just a singular entity traveling through the world, hoovering up knowledge, trying to live forever, but are actually just one tiny fragment of something so much bigger, Mm. so much
0: more meaningful. Mm. Mm. We are each cells in this collective body. In the same yeah. way that our cells are sort of spinning madly, but not in—they're not alone. They're making us. It's each of us cells in this collective body making making the species that strides across this planet, and perhaps yeah. even like that, our whole species is yet an organ in the even larger body that is our planet. Well, that's that's
3: the last line of the, the thing that my dad read. It's very famous from Sadie um, Bani Adam. Um, basically, all humans are. Ozara literally means organ, so like it's Whoa.
0: like
3: organs of the same body, and then in a very kind of typically Persian twist, the the, the line after that is that he who who fails to kind of recognise the suffering of another human doesn't deserve to be called human. That's mm. the that's the kind of twist on it. But like, mm. yeah, I, I agree with you, Lee. I think that that has to be one of the possible. Positives, you know, things to come out of this, the the sense that we're, that we, that we maybe get a glimpse of that interconnectedness, which is ironic because, you know, that's, we've, we've all in, been encouraged to kind of isolate, you know, to be yeah. sort of separate. And yet I think that more than ever, we've realized the sort of interconnectedness of everything. And that's, that's the key. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, that's why almost like people kind of do, you know, I mean, you know, whether you're a kind of a, a A a, a sort of a sage in again in like ancient India, or a monk in a in a in a kind of like a sort of an abbey in the Italian Alps or whatever. It's you know it's like you kind of hide yourself away to realise that you're part of something sort of sprawling and infinite. It's uh, and uh, and always what like you always will be.
4: Yeah, solitude is not being on top of a mountain. Mm. It's about being. With, your, with yourself, with an agency not to be stimulated and live in the worlds of others. Mm. And we tend to imagine that we must to find peace and serenity. We must be aware. Mm. But truth is, we, we are nothing but a ball of energy. Mm. We're never truly aware. We're always connected. And if anything has come out this past year, it's been... People wanting to find their aspects of humanity that they started to feel have faded away.
3: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Do you, are you optimistic about the the chances of people kind of carrying that on? Do you think that there's a there's there's much hope for people that that you know that, that it will continue? That people will kind of you know like coming away from a festival with a desire to kind of talk to more people more often and listen to more music? Do you think it's something that people will take with them?
4: Oh, that's that's a good question. I I have to be hopeful and optimistic, Mm. I suppose, in in my kind of place. Hope and optimism is what engages other people to even consider the different elements, because if we don't have hope and don't have optimism, we almost become helpless, Mm. and that doesn't allow us to take ownership responsibility or accountability to start to go on that journey of awareness within ourselves and so often it's that that becomes a catalyst to start to search beyond everything being knowledge and everything being others Mm. but Mm. actually starting to look at things in a connected way
0: Mm -hmm. francis i wonder um in the spirit of actually both you and Lee said this in different ways, that that it's hard to use non-poetic language. It's hard to use words even to express what poetry and music does to you. Even though they, even though they use words, there's a sense that poetry is not the same thing. It is something else. And so maybe just in the spirit of that and an invitation to you to say like, Oh, maybe there's a poem you have, which of course sounds like it uses words, but is perhaps something deeper that you could share in response to the poetry and music you heard from Cirrus and his dad.
1: Mm. Yeah. I'm just wondering. um, Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a couple of short ones that I feel like might do the job. There's another one that I wrote about, a bit more playful about poetry specifically but there's a couple of short ones that I feel like might might kind of do that much more gracefully in terms of what you've asked for so the first one is called indescribable listen with a different faculty your ears won't cut it this time your mind cannot grasp this it won't be easy there will be days weeks Months or even years when you lose the thread, probably. But those days, those moments when you catch a note, a stanza, a scent in those moments.
2: <laughs> I love it. Uh, love it. Uh.
1: That, that was that was a little one that came out that is it was about that you know it was about exactly yes. that in a way.
2: I yes. love it, indescribable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then there's um, there's this one. It's kind of similar but slightly different angle. Uh, it was inspired by a quote from Antonio Mercado, um mm. a, the famous poet, um, which is his quote is "Being between living and dreaming, there is something else." Guess what it is? <laughs> that's it. That's the whole quote. I just love that little poem. That's awesome. Um, oh, that's so good. And, and in, in response to that, writing kind of inspired that. I wrote this one. I cannot speak it. You cannot hear it, but we both know it. If my heart could whisper directly to yours, beloved, it would say the same things. If you could hear the song of my soul's longing, the music would conjure the same visions. There is a gap in the firmament, a tiny window, only visible from a rare and perfect angle. Can you see?
3: Oh, that's wonderful,
0: mate! I love it, Francis. Mm. My
3: goodness,
1: oh. yeah. It, and for me, interestingly, with with your uh, heritage, uh, Cyrus, you, you know, for me, the, these are the ones in my writing that kind of mo- most remind me of Rumi or, or Rumi. Having,
3: I was going to say
1: know, the same thing. It, yeah, yeah, they've, they've got. The where some of my writing is kind of much more Taoist or a bit more contemporary, that, those are the, some of the ones that have that, a little bit oh, of that flavour. Exactly I mean, I, I hesitate to compare not. myself, but,
2: no. but it's, <laughs> a, it's
1: a flavour of that kind of Sufi kind of uh, mischief and wonder mm-hmm. and, and love.
3: Mm. Um, yeah, And also the sort of, I think the kind of, mun, mun, I mean, the mundane as well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, the beauty of the, the sort of Buddhist conundrum is, you know, to my mind is is the fact that you can't escape your divine nature. You know, you are a Buddha. The only difference between the awakened one and the unawakened one is that the awakened one knows, you know, or whatever. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't escape the fact that you are essentially what you are. The divine is kind of everything at the same time. Mm. And and actually that's kind of sometimes really dull like or or rather like can seem really dull and I, and i love it when kind of poets and writers play with that like the, the the there's that kind of famous um there's some kind of koan, which is like i went and all my life i dreamed of seeing and then there's the name of some famous river and some famous bridge um all my life i dreamed of seeing the the yangtze river and the the, the spectacular hokkaido bridge or something and then the writer goes and sees it. Nothing special. The spectacular, the spectacular Yangtze River and the Hokkaido Bridge. It's like this amazing thing. What was it? Nah, it was nothing special. It was just this <laughs> incredible river and this incredible bridge. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I did a track with um, the poetry of Rumi. I don't know if I sent that to you. The the arrival
0: one. Maybe maybe not. You that's did send that on. to us. Yeah. 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 yeah we should actually, handy. we should close with that. Can we close with that? Oh, that, I mean, I'd
3: love to, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to play it to you. Okay. It's,
0: it's kind Indeed. of like my
3: favorite. It's kind of like my favorite thing at the moment. Um, it's just it's, so it's,
0: yeah. one
3: piece
4: of writing. Yeah. So it's nice good. I just want to hug one last thing, Francis. Yeah, yeah, leave.
0: Take the last word yeah. here for us, mate.
4: The real power of that for me is. In a world where we're almost made that we need to feel, we have to ask for permission to be playful. Poetry gives us that permission without having to ask.
0: (laughs) Mm. Mm. Here's to uh, receiving permission without having to ask. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my gosh. Gentlemen, I could not have asked for a better way to spend a couple hours. I can't wait for the day when I can book a flight to the UK. And, and here's my plan. I'm going to send each of you an invitation with this point somewhere equidistant between the three of you. Yeah, I'm going to invite you to come meet, meet me at that average. point. Yeah, Lee's. will meet at Lee's garage. That's right. <laughs> His wife and kid won't mind. But yeah. I, I can't wait to see you all in three dimensions. And in the meantime, yeah. this, is, this is a this is this is that moment. It, like this gets me so far. It's sad. It can't get me closer. But I'm glad that we have it nonetheless. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Same. Same for me. It is a great mm-hmm. pleasure chatting to you guys. It's a real experience. And and um and and it's really nice to this this kind of having spoken to you a second time. It's like the sort of deepening of that. Awareness yeah. of just what awesome guys you, 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 um, you Francis and Lee are especially because Andy, I've spoken to a couple of times. Like, it's old hat with
0: him. Yeah, I'm you. like the, I'm, <laughs> the yeah, I'm the bridge over the Yangtze River at this point. I Nothing special.
3: special it's just an amazing dude. but you too. It's really nice to spend some time chatting to you. Like <laughs> really yeah. nice, and yeah, you know, yeah. lovely, lovely to speak to you again sometime, and obviously see you in in person when all this kind of madness yeah. cools down a bit.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, been a real delight. Thank you, folks. I'd
3: love to read some more of your um, poems as well. So, like, maybe let, yeah. let, send us a send us a link to where where I could do that.
0: He's got yeah. a book called yeah, we'll Hope do. and Starlight. <laughs> shameless, shameless friend promotion alert over here. So <laughs> I highly recommend it.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I'll, I'll definitely order a copy if if I can. If you let me know where I can do that, I'd love to. Do you yeah. do you have? Sorry, this is probably the kind of post. Uh, yeah,
0: post, we'll include post, this. We'll post. include this link in the show notes, Sirius. You can check That's it out. The, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Lee. I'd love uh, if you have any any last words to share with about the experience before we uh, listen our way out.
4: Yeah, I just hope that everyone who listens can also feel the energy, the magic, and appreciate wisdom. We don't have all the answers, but you can experiment to find some in each day as you tick towards death
0: that you've accepted. Mm. 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 Beautiful. So um, let's let's pull up the music and see you gents on the other side to say goodbye. And thanks everyone for listening. And we're going to close with a song, Arrival, which was composed by Sir Sharad under the moniker Hiatus. And it includes a reading of the poem This Being Human is a Guest House, The Guest House by Rumi. I love that one yeah
3: cool thank you very much Andy it's been such a pleasure mate thanks for having us again
0: yeah you bet thanks everyone all right speak to you soon
6: this being human is a guest house morning, a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows. Who violently sweep your house of its furniture. Still, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the mother door laughing.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Wonderdome This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Surqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world while also making an even greater impact on the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter learn about my transformational coaching work and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.